uh, and all of those joining us on the podcast this week. The Bible has a DNA, two interwoven themes that run throughout the entire theme of Scripture, that run throughout the entire message. And this is the lens of covenant and kingdom that I've introduced to you over the last three weeks that we will continue on here in the next couple weeks. A lens that I hope by the end of this time you will be able to open the Bible, read any passage and say, is this covenant? Is this kingdom? Is it both? And how is it working uh, in my life? What does this say about covenant and kingdom in my life? Uh, the passage that I'm reading. Um, covenant is all about relationship, our relationship with God and each other. Kingdom is all about responsibility, what is expected of us because of our covenant relationship. Covenant is about relationship or being who we are. Kingdom is about responsibility or doing what we do. Last week we got a little deeper into that covenant and kingdom imagery, and I introduced you to these two magical triangles, or not. <laughs> there's, there's nothing on the screen right now. Imagine two triangles with me. Well, the people online are going to have to do this too. So um, <coughs> everyone can imagine two triangles, one on my left and one on my right. The first triangle is the covenant triangle. At the top of the triangle is father. That moves to identity. That moves to obedience. Father, identity, obedience. The second triangle is kingdom. King, uh, authority, and power. So the first triangle, father, identity, obedience. When we enter into the covenant, we begin to see God as father at the top of the triangle. When we become uh, intimately involved with the God who is our parent, we begin to understand ourselves as children of God. And therefore, our identity is formed. Covenants in the middle. Oh, hey, they're there. Covenants in the middle, and then kingdom over there. When we see God as Father, we understand ourselves as children of God, and therefore we have an identity as children of God. And with that identity in hand, we can be truly obedient to God's will or our Father. Through covenant, God becomes our Father, and we have new identities as children of God, which allow us to be truly obedient. That's how the first triangle works. The second triangle is the kingdom triangle. As a child of God, our identity is also tied to God, which means God reveals himself to us as father, but also as king. On Wednesday night, I talked about the idea of as a young person, as a very young person, you maybe understood your father and mother uh, as your parents, but you maybe didn't know what they did. Uh, you didn't know where they worked or what their profession is. Now, some of us, we did because that was all-encompassing, all but I'm sure there's several of you who really didn't understand or maybe still don't understand what your parents did, uh, uh, even to this day. So as we get into a relationship with God as our Father, we start to understand that this is also the God who is King of the universe. And as God reveals Himself to us as King, if we are therefore children of God, we are also heirs to His kingdom. We are princes and princesses of the kingdom of God. Therefore, we have royal blood running through our veins. And when we experience God as king, we are humbled. Therefore, God gives us authority. And through that authority, God allows us to use his power 
to do his work in this world. We are our father king's representatives on earth. Through kingdom, God becomes our king. We are given authority to be heirs to his kingdom, which enables us to act with God's power. So father, identity, obedience, king, authority, power. Those are the triangles. That's kind of the, uh, the, the, very, the, very, the very easy way of the covenant kingdom is covenant's relationship, kingdom's responsibility. This is kind of going a little bit deeper. Um, so if you want to get a little deeper. Today, we're going to focus on one part of the covenant triangle, uh, probably of the parts, one of the most important parts, and that's identity. Today, we're going to see how the person of Jesus wove both covenant and kingdom together in his life. And we're going to see how his identity as the Son of God made him truly able to live out this covenant kingdom relationship. It allowed him to truly be obedient, therefore have authority, therefore have the awesome power that he did. Jesus here today is going to be in the desert and be tempted by the tempter or the devil or Satan or Lucifer. Uh, We have a couple different languages there in today's reading. But we're going to see that through his identity, his solid understanding of who he was, he was able to resist the devil and able to solidify his identity and go into the world. So let's start, if you have your Bibles with you or on your phone or available, open to Matthew, that is the first book in the New Testament, chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Later on today, we're going to go to Luke chapter 4, same story. It's convenient, same number. Uh, But for right now, we'll be in Matthew. So hear these words. This is the story of Jesus' temptation. Then the Spirit led Jesus up into the wilderness so that the devil might tempt him. After Jesus had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, he was starving. The tempter came to him and said, Since you are God's Son, command these stones to become bread. Jesus replied, It's written, People won't live only by bread, but on every word spoken by God. After that, the devil brought him into the holy city and stood him on the highest point of the temple. He said to him, Since you are God's Son, throw yourself down. For it is written, I will command my angels concerning you, and they will take you up into their hands so that you won't be hit, or you won't hit your foot on a stone. Jesus replied, Again it's written, Don't test the Lord your God. The devil brought him to the very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. He said, I'll give you all of these if you bow down and worship me. Jesus responded, Go away, Satan, because it's written, You will worship the Lord your God and serve only Him. The devil left him, and angels came and took care of him. It's a good story we don't hear a lot of. The tempter, the devil, Satan, three different languages used just in that passage, comes to Jesus and does three different things to throw him off of his identity. Because Satan knew if he could disrupt Jesus' identity as the Son of God, he could win. He could end Jesus' ministry. Remember, this is before Jesus' ministry has started. He's just going out. He's been baptized, goes into the wilderness, and then his ministry begins. The disciples haven't been gathered. There's been no wedding. 
at Cana. None of that stuff's happened. Baptized desert, the beginning of the story. And the devil knows if I can disrupt who he is or who he thinks he is, then I can win. He does this in three distinct ways. And we're going to focus on each of these attacks. First, he goes after Jesus' appetite. Three A words, easy to remember. Next, he goes after Jesus' desire for affirmation. And finally, he goes after Jesus' ambitions. Now, these are not just temptations that Jesus faced 2,000 years ago. These are temptations that we face every single day. These are temptations that we experience. Temptations that put our identity as children of God at great risk. So let's explore each of these, see how Jesus combated them, and perhaps we will see how we can do the same. Appetite is the first temptation. The tempter goes after the easiest target, Jesus' appetite. After all, Jesus had been fasting, not eating, for 40 days and 40 nights. That's a long time. Now, depending on what you uh, hold as Jewish tradition, Jesus may not have uh, fasted on the Sabbath because you shouldn't normally have fasted on the Sabbath, but we don't know. Either way, it's a long time to go without food, even if you eat just once a week. So the tempter asked him to prove his identity. He says, if you're the Son of God, it's a wonderful phrase. I think there's probably a little sarcasm in Satan's voice. If you're the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. It was certainly in Jesus' power to turn stones into bread. He did a lot more powerful things than that. You see, appetite can be destructive. There are things that our mind and our body crave. Some of them we need, like food. Some of them we don't need. And after a while, we begin to question when we're starving. Whether or not God will provide. Our trust in God gets shaken. We lose it. And we look for immediate satisfaction. Something we ourselves can give. Remember Abraham and Sarah? They were told that God would provide them a son, yet they couldn't wait. And they had a child through Sarah's servant, Hagar. They tried to satisfy their own appetite. Remember Joseph? He was in prison all those years. And he tried to get the cupbearer to free him, even though he could have just trusted God that God would free him and did free him. He tried to take matters into his own hands. Sounds like something we do from time to time, doesn't it? Try to take things into our own hands. Try to satisfy our own needs. So the question I want to ask you now (coughs) to share among each other is what are the different appetites we face? If you want to be personal, that's fine. Or just as a society, what are the different appetites tempting us, helping us, or trying to help us uh, um, push us away from our identity as children of God. So talk about that for 30 seconds.
All right, let's come back. There will be a couple other questions. Uh, I apologize. I was just told that on uh, my PowerPoint, I, I uploaded the wrong, uh, the wrong uh, file. So the PowerPoint's not here today. But that's okay. It wasn't very good anyway. So apparently I uploaded the worship planner instead of the PowerPoint for this week. So that would have not been particularly interesting unless you wanted to see what we were preaching six months from now, um, which you can do. That's in my office. But So there are a lot of things that tempt our appetites. Food, sex, drugs, adrenaline, body image, personal comfort, television, Facebook, Pinterest, no. Angry Birds, I haven't been playing that. Yeah. Anyway, the list is overwhelming. The problem that we have is we give into our cravings and our identities begin to be formed by our appetites. We become people of our appetites, not people of an identity of, as a child of God. But Jesus knew that God would provide for him, so he refused temptation. How do we resist temptation? Simply the same way Jesus did. He trusted in God. That's the simple answer. But there's a more a practical thing we can do. If we want to resist the temptation of appetite, and it's something Jesus told us to do that we don't generally do, it's something that Christians have done for centuries, and it's called fasting. We purposely deny our appetites so that when appetites become overwhelming, we can resist them. We actually practice resisting temptation. I, I know that sounds kind of strange, but that's what fasting is all about. You build up a resistance to temptation. It doesn't always have to be food, but it could be food. Giving up a meal a week or not eating for a day a week is not the worst thing in the world. And so, But you do things that you can succeed at. You know, Maybe you can't just quit smoking uh, overnight, but maybe you can give up checking Facebook for you know, six hours a day. Or maybe you can uh, give up watching TV for this amount of time when you're supposed to be eating dinner with your family. And do, that's not watching TV, that's playing on my phone. <clears throat> but you can do things you can succeed in. That's why in Lent we try to give something up for 40 days. We train ourselves to resist temptation. Think about when we think, talk about fasting. Think about it in that. Don't think about it as giving up something uh, just for giving up, giving up something because God demands it of it. Think of it as personal training, training yourselves to resist that temptation. The second temptation was a desire for affirmation. It's a little ironic as young people, we desire independence. We desire an identity. We want to find ourselves. Yet we do that by being affirmed and looking for affirmation through everyone else. We seek out who we are by what other people say of us. Do you know why we do that? Because identity comes from without ourselves. It comes from outside of ourselves. We don't generate identity from within. We generate identity from outside our personal space. And it might be a little hard to grasp, but that's what we do, whether you know it or not. We actually look to what other people say 
and their affirmations to say, who am I as a person? So, even as children of God, even though we have an identity from outside of ourselves, God has given us that identity, we fall into the trap of letting other people dictate who we are and how worthy we are because that's really what affirmation is all about, whether or not our identities are worthwhile or worthless. So, as we tackle this temptation of affirmation, I want to ask you the question, how do we seek or how do you seek out affirmation? How do you seek out affirmation? So talk about that for a minute. Let's come back together. So we're talking about affirmation, and we really do, I think, honestly care what other people think about us. We ask questions. uh, Do they think that I'm a good parent? Do they think that I'm a good husband or wife? Do people think I'm good at my job? Do people think I'm good at sports? Or do I dress well? Do people think I'm cool? Do they like me? Maybe just that at the very basic, basic affirmation we look for is, do people like me? We even set ourselves up so we can experience affirmation on a regular basis. We actually manipulate things in our lives so that we have constant sources of affirmations. I don't know if you realize that. But, you know, every Tuesday I call Nana and and she loves me. And she tells me, all my Nanas are dead. But, you know, I'm, I'm just giving you an example. And she tells me how great I am. And then that friend who worships the ground I walk at, we have breakfast every Wednesday and they tell me how wonderful I am and then I go to a you know, support group on Thursday and everyone's so impressed with what I do and then I go to a remedial potting class on Friday and I'm an expert potter and so it just really, you know, but we do things like that so that we can continuously be affirmed. Unfortunately, that cycle of affirmation undermines our identity as children of God. Because if God loves us, and if God thinks we're pretty special, who the heck else cares what anyone else thinks? Anyone else who isn't perfect? Anyone else who isn't the king of the universe? Jesus knew that God loved him. He didn't need angels to remind him. Thus he resisted them temptation. 
So how do we resist that temptation? I'm not saying that if someone affirms you and who you are, you need to be, you know, get away, Satan. It's not what I'm saying. But when it comes to seeking out, desperately, desperately seeking out affirmation, and I don't know about you, but I've certainly been in that trap before. We need to resist it. And the best way to resist it is to stop looking for affirmation. I know it sounds easier than it is. But we need to understand God, our Father, the King of the universe, the only perfect being in existence. He loves us. He thinks we're very special. We are his favorite people, his favorite person, his favorite man or woman. And if God, the king of the universe, thinks we're important, thinks we're special, that should be enough. Because those other people, they're not perfect. And we're not perfect. And we'll talk about that here in a second. So again, you you can accept affirmation, you can appreciate it, but don't go looking for it. Because in the end, we will always fail when we look for affirmation. We'll always stumble. And in the end, we don't really need it. We've been affirmed by the best affirmer there is. Let's move on to our third temptation, ambition. Again, this is an a temptation that people say, well, what's wrong with ambition? You know, what's wrong with affirmation? What's wrong with eating? There's, at some point, not a lot wrong until you start eating a lot. All three temptations, if you haven't realized it, are tied up to addiction. Addiction is a very broad thing that we all deal with. First, we have an addiction to a particular type of appetite, and those are the addictions we talk about most in our world. Those are the DSM-4, R, S, whatever they're up on now. Diagnostic manual of crazy people stuff. Yeah, that's what it is. Um, I, you know, it's undergrad stuff. Anyway, those are the addictions, you know, a, a drug addiction and sex addiction and, um, you know, all the, that kind. Those are the addictions we think about when appetite the second is addiction to affirmation. And we talked about that. We get into this cycle. We need affirmation. We need to be affirmed. We need to be affirmed. And the next is, and the final, addiction to success. Addiction to winning. And that's what we call ambition. Now, being successful and winning isn't bad. That's not the problem. The problem when comes when we need to win to give us an identity. When we need to succeed to be given an identity. The tempter offers Jesus everything, rule over all the nations of the earth, and if Satan is ruler of the world, he certainly had power to make that happen. So I want to ask us, as we're talking about identity, how does ambition define us? Talk about that for a minute. Think about that. How does ambition define us? How does it undermine our identity as children of God. Talk about that for a minute.
inside. You wanna be someone. Laying down your pride. You wanna be someone someday. Lay it all down before the king. Oh yeah. You wanna be whole. You wanna have purpose inside. You wanna have virtue. Purify your mind. You wanna be set free today. Lay it all down before the King. Oh yeah, this is my desire. This is my return. This is my desire. All right, let's. What? I well, I'm. I encourage you to continue the conversation throughout the week. That's why I don't give you a lot of time. Plus, it would get boring for the people online. Just that all that dead silence. I'm just saying as well. So the problem with ambition is when we need our success to be someone. I'm going to show them. I'm going to be someone someday. Is something we sometimes say to ourselves. When I get that job, when I get married to the right person, when I drive the right car, when I win this award, when I score this many points, we let our success define us. But ultimately, even the most talented among us fail. Michael Jordan was an amazing athlete. Not so good at baseball. For those of you who remember that, When we fail, even if we have a lifelong winning streak, we begin to see ourselves as failures. And failure then becomes our defining feature. It becomes our identity, at least until our next victory, until our next win. When our ambition becomes an addiction, we become useless to God. Because at that point, we're not serving God, we're serving ourselves and our own needs. Jesus did not need to win. In fact, by the world's standards, Jesus lost pretty bad. That would be the ultimate key to resisting this final temptation. How do we resist it? Very simple. We lose. I know it's not something we like to talk about. It's not something we like to do, but we actually need to choose losing. Not in everything we do. We don't need to become losers. But, because it doesn't sound very fun. But we need to be able to do it. We need to train ourselves with being okay with winning or losing. And we need to be able to survive failure. Because when we get caught up in winning, that failure knocks us down. And dis, uh, dismembers our identity as children of God. So, take up something you're not good at. Pottery, for example. (laughs) Seems to be a theme. You may have a friend who loves to play basketball. Maybe you don't play with them because they're so much better at it than you do. Spend time with your friend losing. Build up that friendship. Build up the opportunity you have. 
Maybe you always get into an argument with someone at work and you always have to have the last word. Give up winning the argument so that you can work together in peace and not discord. Choose losing from time to time. I'm not saying, again, you have to lose in everything you do. I'm not saying don't do the best at your job, don't do the best at everything you can do. I'm saying don't make winning your ultimate goal. Make being a child of God and serving God's kingdom. Now let's close by turning to the same story in the Gospel of Luke, if you have your Bibles with you. It's also chapter 4, which is convenient. And let's read just the first and second verse, and then the 13th and 14th. Jesus returned from the Jordan River full of the Holy Spirit and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. There he was tempted for 40 days by the devil. He ate nothing during those days and afterwards was starving. Then at the end of the story, after the three temptations, something I want to focus on. After finishing every temptation, the devil departed from him until the next opportunity. Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And news about him spread through the whole countryside. Now look what happens in this story. After his baptism, Jesus is filled with the Holy Spirit, led into the desert. After the temptation, he is filled with the Holy Spirit, but has the power of God on his side. He leaves in the power of the Spirit. His identity secure, he now is able to utilize the power of the kingdom of God. When your identity is threatened, when you are attacked by temptation, however you want to think about that, whether there's an actual Satan, whether it's metaphorical, whether it's just the temptations of our world, there are times that our identity as children of God will and, and will often be attacked. But through those attacks, the kingdom of God can be advanced. God can use those temptations to strengthen our identity because every temptation we resist strengthens, solidifies, lifts up our identity, makes us more sure. And that's why we practice losing and we practice resisting and we practice fasting so that our identities can be strengthened. We can be confident that we are God's children. And when you are truly confident that you are a child of God, you know that you have all of the resources of your Father King's kingdom at your disposal, all of His power. Now the tempter isn't gone. Scripture says the devil departed from him until the next opportunity. And that opportunity came. It came at the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus asked for the cup, the cup of having to go to the cross, having to die. He asked for that to be taken. But Jesus had practiced and built up his identity so strong that the tempter had no way to destroy it at that point. So even as your identity becomes more and more clear, we are never freed from temptation, not as long as we live on this earth. And there's always another opportunity to throw us off our game. Therefore, 
there's always another opportunity for us to grow and be confirmed in who we are as children of God. So I hope you spend some time thinking about where you might face temptation. Do you struggle with appetite? Do you struggle with the need for affirmation? Do you struggle with your personal ambition? Does it consume you? So you can be nothing else but that promotion. Nothing else but the best. I hope you work on resisting those temptations with what we talked about, the example of Christ here. But more than that, I hope you truly begin to understand and I hope you truly realize that you are a child of God. And your Father, the King of the universe, loves you, is pleased with you, is proud of you, and wants you to succeed. And more than that, wants you, each of you here tonight, to represent Him in this world. Amen. As we transition now to our forwarding time and our time of praising our Father King, I uh, will update you on some of the financial goings-on of uh, our organization. We have... (coughs) Excuse me. We have been given the tools to start using the money that we collect on a regular basis. So that's nice because it would have got hard here in a few weeks to not be able to spend any money. Uh, But yes, we have been able to uh, receive the tools we need to set up our own checking account. And the uh, Northern Illinois Conference of the United Methodist Church will be taking care of our payroll. They will be um, doing the administration part of the payroll, which can be a little complicated Uh, until we can figure that out for ourselves. Uh, So we are thankful to them uh, for giving us those tools so that we may succeed um, in our financial independence uh, and our uh, church independence as we are out on our own, uh, hopefully not in the wilderness, but uh, in in, in this world uh, in in this time. So uh, that is what's happening um, in terms of uh, your giving. If you do write checks, uh, you can certainly make them out to New Life now. Um, and uh, you can still give online. Uh, that's fine. We've uh, worked out some things through that. So no, that is what's going on in terms of the um, financial picture. Uh, I, I do want to make sure that you are aware we are trying to come up with a kind of financial team now because now we have to do that kind of stuff. Um, so if you feel that you have the gifts of um, finances in any way, shape, or form, accounting or uh, just, you know, you can keep your checkbook or uh, you have the gift of generosity or you have vision when it comes to giving to God. Uh, those are the kind of qualities we look for on um, for people to work with finance. I'm going to, there are individuals I will approach, but I want to make sure everyone knew that um, there's an opportunity to serve, as there are many opportunities to serve here at New Life. If you did not realize, there's an unlimited number of opportunities to serve uh, in, until we're uh, uh, much larger than ourselves. There's a lot of things to be done uh, in so many ways to serve. But that is an opportunity uh, and an immediate need for us right now. So please um, feel free if you uh, feel a call to that, pray about that. Uh, we can uh, get you working in that system soon. Also, we're going to be finishing up our Towards New Life survey campaign. Uh, so if you have not filled out a survey, if you are sitting here tonight and you have not filled out a survey, Please go online tonight, fill out a survey uh, on www.findnewlifeumc.org under Take Our Survey. You may take your survey. You probably also received an email, and there's something on our Facebook page, and there's something in our newsletter about it. I want to make sure you have every opportunity to be involved in this visioning process 
Uh, and so if you did not take part in it, by, we'll finish it up here at the end of the month. It's, it's on you, I think, and not me. Um, and uh, I'll feel uh, confirmed in that. So um, please, please do. We do really appreciate your, your input and your feedback. Uh, all ages, it's not um, just, uh, you don't have to be, there's no members here, so you don't have to be a member because you can't be one. Uh, and there's no age restrictions. If you can type or have someone type for you, uh, you are certainly welcome. If you don't have a computer or internet access, um, we can either have you take it here or we have some paper copies too available um, to fill out. So uh, those are the things to think about as we uh, uh, enter our time of offering and transition now. Uh, so let us pray. Lord, God of our father Abraham and our mother Sarah, you desire to be in covenant relationship with us. Help us to desire that covenant relationship with you. By grace, may we be pulled into that covenant, becoming new people, having new life that is intertwined with yours. Through the blood of Christ, may that covenant last forever. And may we truly become your children, heirs to your kingdom with our Lord Jesus Christ. As a representative of that kingdom, open our hearts so that we may place you at the center of our universe. Allow us to show your rule in this world and all that we do through us. Make your hope known to the poor, the hungry, the weak, and the powerless through us. Make your healing available to those who suffer, those in pain, and those looking for a reason to live. Cultivate us as leaders in all that we do and bless all those who are called leaders. Create in them hearts for service and hearts for this world. Be with all those who serve and bless their ministry. Grant them mercy and life and lift them up to your presence. May your church be a light heralding your kingdom. Therefore, empower the church and this congregation called New Life to be your covenant and kingdom people. Develop within each one of us the desire to be your children, living in the new life you offer us. Allow us to lay our lives down before you. You are king, that we may serve in your kingdom from this day forward. Amen.